Forex Fridays, only on Money FM 89.3. Welcome back to Forex Fridays. And this week, inflation seemed to dominate the attention across asset classes. We saw factory gate inflation in China, consumer prices in the U.S., and also wholesale inflation in Japan, all hitting highs we haven't seen in decades. And thus also bringing to question once again whether or not central bankers around the world are indeed on top of these inflationary pressures, if they're really transitory. And as we know, Forex markets also very sensitive to some of these inflationary uncertainties. Today on Forex Fridays, we're joined again by more Chu, who's an investment analyst at Phillips Futures to help us recap the week that was and also help us understand what we should look forward to in the coming weeks and as we near the end of 2021. Morris, thank you so much for joining us today. Glad to hear you and your loved ones are still safe and in good health during these times. Welcome back to the show, sir. Happy Friday. Hope you're having a good end of the week. Yes, quite so. Hi, JP. Thanks for having me back. All right. So, Morris, you know, inflation, the talk of the town this week, whether you look at U.S. consumer goods, Japanese wholesale prices, Chinese factory gate inflation, more people are now challenging the belief that this is all transitory. And of course, this question, very important for Forex markets specifically, are central bankers potentially behind the curve or is there a risk that they're behind the curve? And what's at stake if they don't get the timing of tightening or responding to these inflationary pressures right? Right. So uh, perhaps I'll start with the central bankers themselves. What you see is that major central bankers such as Christine Lagarde, Jay Powell, both have done very well in actually controlling dissenting opinions within their administrations. And I think that's actually a very important uh, fact to take note of. So for, for instance, Jay Powell himself, he has seen at least votes against him. So Bloomberg actually compiled some statistics. They ran a tally, first 26 board meetings of a Federal Reserve chair, and that includes legends such as Volcker, Greenspan, Bernanke. And Jay Powell has actually seen the least dissent since. So actually, this is pretty significant to me at least because, you know, the world is kind of playing checkers when they say they want the central bank to control price pressure. But Jay Powell is actually playing a different game. Maybe he's playing chess, you know, it's another game. Mm-hmm. Both games have somewhat similar rules, similar dimensions, but certainly the conditions for winning are different. So what has he achieved so far? He's avoided a repeat of 2013 taper tantrum. He's helped the labor market recover better. The economy is now back to its pre-COVID output as compared to 08-09 crisis where you saw actually, for instance, the stock market, perhaps not so important, but it took six years to get back to pre-layman levels. And that's quite remarkable in itself, given how vocal, how divergent many of the Fed officials seem to be. I mean, quite famously, you have Atlanta Fed president, Recently, he joked about creating a swear jar for the word transitory. So anyone who uses that word would place a dollar in a glass jar. So, you know, you, you see this kind of uh, dissenting opinions. And I think what the Fed and what central bankers have succeeded in doing is that they created stability. Where, you know, maybe it's not such a tradable event in that way. And maybe it's uh, against what people are expecting of central bankers. But I think they've really succeeded. While they may be behind the curve, I think they're largely satisfied with the way things have played out, particularly in the labor market and economic recovery. So now, people who bought the transitory story earlier in the year, economists even, investors even, maybe they feel a bit cheated, maybe that's just too bad. Uh, But now I think all eyes are from both central bankers and investors, undoubtedly is now just purely on inflation. Indeed. So, you know, what we have seen, though, is that it has had an impact somewhat on Forex markets, especially in the latter half of this week. The last few days saw the U.S. dollar pick up steam yet again. We also have to talk about those strong jobs data we saw last week and even stronger inflation. When you combine all of this, uh, Morris, is this basically creating a perfect storm to uh, see the dollar resurgent once again as we head closer to the end of the year and perhaps for as long as inflation remains pesky and rates remain low? 
Yeah, that's a great question. Because I think uh, right now, you know, it's it's a bit akin to a game of musical chairs where the music has stopped, which is inflation is here. But everyone is still walking around the chair waiting to see who's going to sit down first. So who is going to sit down first? I think it depends on your view. But if you ask me, I think uh, it seems likely that, say, out of all the major economies, US will be one of the earlier ones to think about sitting down. That is to hike rates, uh, to cool down economic growth a bit, to ease the inflationary pressure. So right now, what bond markets are telling us is they are pricing in a rate hike uh, somewhere mid-2022. Whether it comes through is another matter. But at the rate uh, that these expectation, expectations have kept being brought forward, there's still room for those hikes to come even earlier. So if I were to summarize the situation, right, it's a, it's a case where central banks are trying to convince everyone they're going to keep easy monetary conditions, but it's far from certain if people believe them so much anymore, especially when you look at trim mean inflation figures which actually tracks more of, say, the general direction of inflation where you cut away the outliers, right? So the pressure to uh, raise rates there is quite high. So I think in the near term, you're going to see that actually, yes, there is a case for a more bullish dollar. Uh, One thing I would highlight, however, that just happened perhaps uh, over the last week is that a potential candidate for the Fed's top job, so um, I hope I'm not butchering her name, but Lael Brainard, Mm-hmm. She was summoned for a job interview with President Biden in the White House. So as job interviews go, one way people measure it is, you know, how long the recruiter is willing to speak to you, right? So Biden reportedly sat with Bernard for about 90 minutes. So read that as you will. But in my opinion, uh, what that is, is actually a bit more based on her track record of these and her views on, on macroeconomic policy. That is actually likely to send the dollar and bond yields lower mm-hmm. in the near to medium term. Staying with inflation, though, Morris, and uh, we have talked about the U.S. dollar, but uh, inflation also has a reputation of leaving currencies rather vulnerable of the major G10 currencies. I just want to focus on this particular subset. Which one might prove to be more susceptible to these inflationary pressures and weakness if their central bankers or policymakers get it wrong? To me, probably of interest would be the euro. Uh, I think at the rate it's going, Christine Lagarde's tight management of the central bank, you'll see them stay the course of very accommodative monetary policy. So over the past few months, you've seen her maintain that inflation is transitory. But around since September, she's been starting to acknowledge that the recovery and thus inflation is actually a lot higher than previously expected. And that's a lot due to reopening programs enabled by the vaccine. Uh, One thing that's been happening over the past week, however, is that you're seeing a lot of deaths and serious COVID-19 cases rising. So I think a bit of that economic Uh, recovery expectations and inflationary pressure is going to ease a little bit. So where that leaves us is that, you know, the ECB wants to see a broad economic recovery. Uh, They're also keeping in mind that inflation pre-COVID was rather difficult to achieve for the Eurozone. And I think one one quite interesting thing to me is also the ECB does have a record of being burned, so-called, a few times when they turn hawkish too early, such as in 2008. And 2011, that was the sovereign debt crisis. So overall, you're going to see a bit of reluctance uh, in the ECB to actually tighten their policy too early. So while ECB's own inflation projections are creeping forward, I think a lot of them still think that, uh, how you say, the eurozone still has a lot of room for accommodative monetary policy, um, even though inflation figures in the past few months have actually come in at decade-long highs. So... To me, the euro will probably be the one to watch. Interesting thoughts there. Uh, now, from the G10 currencies, Morris, the other um, country we talked about a while ago that's facing inflationary pressures, particularly their factories and businesses, is China. And we're seeing flashes of a Chinese slowdown via softer PMI figures. 
those infl- those price uh, pressures that we're seeing in the factories that we just mentioned. Despite all of this, though, we did get a reminder of one sliver of hope for China, and that's exports remaining rather strong. Will this be enough to bolster a bullish case for the Chinese yuan that really has been fairly stable despite a couple of dips and, and shakes you know, over the last couple of months? Right. I think the yuan near term looks quite strong because uh, for these markets, there's a lot about kind of one way you can see it is on betting on Chinese strength relative to that of other countries. Uh, however, you're right in the sense that there's a bit of a major bearish case building thanks to the economic outlook. So while exports have come in higher than expected, you're weighing this against turmoil in Q2 and Q3. So you're seeing that there's crackdown on the tech industry, power shortages, your COVID-19 outbreaks, logistics, Evergrande as well. And why I mention Evergrande is because uh, the property market contributes to quite a bit of Chinese GDP. So, you know, you weighing these two factors against each other. Uh, one thing I would, however, say that, you know, uh, while the yuan has actually gone to multi-year highs earlier this year, there were actually reactions from policymakers that were worried about the yuan that was too strong. So, for instance, the PBOC earlier this year was actively fixing the yuan's midpoint lower against the US dollar. Mm. So they were also increasing the ratio of foreign exchange deposits that all your financial institutions, your banks, has to hold. So coincidentally, at the UN's current levels as we are speaking, it's approaching those levels again. So in my opinion, you know, I'm not saying that it's not going to break through those levels and go even higher or anything, but in my opinion, there's a strong barrier. We're going to see increasing pushback or reactions from the country's regulators. So where does that leave us, in my opinion? You know, there there is a case for... Uh, UN bullishness because in the end you're looking at Chinese strength relative to other economies but certainly we are approaching a level where you know regulators they have shown in the past yeah, they're not too comfortable with a UN that's too strong. Mm-hmm, indeed and just very quickly Morris, uh, Morris just to wrap this up uh, you know one a sector of uh, currencies that might have actually looked a bit strong at least at the start of this week were ASEAN currencies. Are they still a currency set to watch next week especially given the strong performances we saw from the Thai baht and the Philippine peso for instance? Right. I think the ASEAN currency is a good pick in the coming months because, you know, it's kind of a reopening play. Mm-hmm. Uh, there will be a word of caution there, perhaps, is that um, what you're seeing in other emerging market currencies is that uh, many of them are actually seeing slowing growth, uh, slowing growth outlook in the near to medium term uh, forecasts. So, for example, your Corona, your Real, your Lira, your Zloty. So why I mention all those is like, you know, you can see them as a kind of uh, ASEAN currencies are in the early stage of it and the other EM currencies I mentioned are in the mid- middle stage of it. So, you know, it remains to be seen if ASEAN economies can actually sustain the kind of high economic growth expectations. So Peru, for instance, they, I think I think that's a good example. So Peru, they just hiked rates for the fourth straight month, right? Now, but wow. that's really because, yeah, but that's really because, you know, they can do that and you're not going to see major uh, bearishness for the currency because, you know, their economy, their economic growth, and the outlook has actually kept up with it. So if ASEAN countries, if the outlook kind of gets hurt in the medium term, uh, you're going to see that, you know, it's no longer such a good kind of, uh, you're not going to see as many bullish outlook kind of forecasts for the ASEAN currencies. Morris True, investment analyst at Philip Futures, for thank you so much for joining us today on Money FM 89.3 here on Forex Fridays. Morris, as always, I wish you and your loved ones continued health and safety during these times. And we look forward to the next time you can join us in the show. Meanwhile, stay safe, sir, and we hope you have a good weekend again. Thanks. You too, JP. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance.
To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A W E D I O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.